You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I am Marie Elizabeth. I am your host, and this is the Manifesting God podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy Monday evening to you. I hope you had a great day, beautiful day here in Delaware, but we thank you so much for joining us on this evening. Listen, God has been good to each and every one of us, and I know he's been good to you because you're under the sound of my voice. You are listening to him right now. Even as you're listening to me, you are listening to him. God is tuning your ears for that which he has in store for you today. Get over to Judges 2 and let's talk real quick. Let's just talk about today when God starts asking questions. We're talking about the day when God starts asking questions. See, we can get questions from friends and neighbors and well-wishers, and we can answer those questions from the top of our head. We can answer those questions speedily with the knowledge that we have today and right now. However, when God starts asking questions, we need to pause. We need to pause and think about what God is requiring of us. Why? Why would God pause what he's doing to start asking us questions? Why is God trying to get our attention? What is he trying to draw our attention to and toward? What is it that he's trying to get us to see that we may be missing? We're going to talk about that today when God starts asking questions in Judges 2 and 1. It starts off, and I'm in the amplified version. It says, now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal. Gilgal is a wheel rolling in Hebrew. It's movement. It's movement. And when the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bosham, to Bosham, I should say, Bosham, Bosham, one of the two, when he came up from Gilgal to Bosham, and he said, I have brought you up from Egypt. I have brought you up from Egypt and led you to the land which I swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. This verse, if we if we switch out certain words for what it's saying in the Hebrew, we understand Gilgal is a wheel rolling. It represents movement. Bachem or Boshem means weeping. So it says here, now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal. He came up from movement to weeping. He moved from, from, he came up from movement 
to weeping. And he said, I have brought you out of Egypt, the place of bondage. I went from, I came up, I moved from, I moved to weeping and I bought you up from a place of bondage. He's reminding us now. And I led you to the land, which I swore to give to your fathers. I will never break my covenant with you. Wait a minute. We, you're God, the angel of the Lord, he's telling us, I came up from Gilgal to Bosham or Bachem. And he said, I bought you up from Egypt and led you to the land, which I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Covenant here is alliance. It is divine ordinance with signs or pledges. So I came up, I moved from one place to another. And here I am now weeping. I brought you up from Egypt. I led you to the land. I kept my promise. I led you to the land that I swore. I swore to get to you, to your fathers. And I said to you, I would never break my covenant. Bad way to start a sentence bad way to start a paragraph. You pointed out to me everything that you did for me. You pointed out to me that you moved from one place, the place where you were, where you were situated, where you were watching over me to now where you were once, uh, I can't help but think that maybe you were once joyfully, uh, uh, uh affectionate towards me. Now I've put you in a position of weeping and you've delivered me from a place of bondage. You're reminding me you've delivered me from a place of bondage and you're reminding me that you would never break your covenant that is your allegiance or your alliance with me with that comes with signs and wonders you're telling me you would never break that with me why are we starting the sentence this way? Let's keep going. Come on, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Let's talk about the evidence of a covenant right now, the evidence of a covenant, the signs or the pledges, the evidence of a covenant, the signs or the pledges in this particular case is that God brought Israel up from Egypt. He brought them up from that place of bondage just as today. The signs of God's covenant still shows forth with us today because he's bought us, all of us, from a place, from the place of bondage. He's brought us from a place of bondage, whether that place was a stronghold, whether that place were experiences that we couldn't let go of, whether that place was a place of hurt, misuse, or abuse, he delivered us from bondage. He delivered us. He's reminding us, I delivered you from that place of Egypt. He's reminding us, I will never break my covenant with you. Then as, and then it says in verse two, and as for you, as for you, what is God asking? You shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. But then he says, this is what you can do. You shall tear down their altars. This is what I'm asking of you. You shall tear down their altars. This is all I ask. But, but he said, you have not obeyed me. 
you have not obeyed me and obeyed here. You haven't heard me. You haven't understood me. You haven't listened to me. You haven't consented. This is what the spirit of God is saying to Israel. After I've delivered you from that place of bondage, after I've delivered you, given you the promised land that I promised your forefathers, after I've kept my covenant with you, you did not do what I asked you to do by tearing down the altars that pre-existed in the promised land that I delivered you to. There was some work that you were supposed to do. There was a, your part of the covenant that you were supposed to fulfill. That part of the covenant was for you to tear down the altars. And then he poses a question to them. He says, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? God is posing a question. The angel of God is posing a question. See, the evidence of no covenant or a wrong covenant are altars which still stand. Altars of God, altars that are not of God that stand, they represent, they represented, and they represent today the result of disobedience, the result of a decision made that was not in alignment with what God has called for. The decision has been made to, to allow the altar to continue to exist, to, to continue to stand on our land, on our territory, that which does not represent God is still standing today and is standing on our territory as it did for Israel. As Israel did when they moved into the territory. Listen, Joshua told them, you can have, this is your land. This is what God has promised you. However, However, your task will be to tear down what is not God's so that you can fill that space with what is God's. See, what happened is they didn't have to do it alone. No particular group of people had to do it alone for they had an agreement that the first group would go in and clear the land. And after they cleared their land, they would come back for the second group and help them to clear their land. And then they would come back again. I'm talking about the warriors and they would come back again for the next group and come help them clear their land and so on and so forth. So forth. It was a cycle. It was a system. It was a structure. It was a process that they had set up thereby each person's land was supposed to be cleared of the idols that did not represent God, the altars that did not represent God that were made to false gods. They were to clear them out. But the word of God tells us, but you did not do that. So what is it, God asked them, what is it that you have done? See now, how do we, how do we know, how do we know that they didn't follow through? How is it that it's confirmed? See, when you look at that second part of verse two, where it says, what have you done? This is key to the text because it highlights the activity or the inactivity. It highlights what has been manifested as their decision, their inability to tear down the altar 
is the manifestation of their choice. So this is why the spirit asked, what have you done? See, because I kept my part, God said. I, I kept my promise. I gave you the land. Uh-huh. I gave you the land. And then on top of that, I gave you, I promised you, I promised you, I made a covenant with you. And see, when he said I made this covenant, I made a covenant with you that, that I would protect you. And I told you that I would never break that covenant. I told you that I would never break the covenant, but yet I'm looking and I don't see your end being upheld. I still see altars that are not my altars. I see sacrifices to a God that is not me, he's saying. I see sacrifices. See, these are small sentences. When he asked them, what is this that you have done? These are small sentences injected into the text with big implications, huge implications that should be examined rather than ignored or breezed by because in fact, they are literally turning points turning points in the lives represented in the text. And since the scriptures provide us with this real life example by which we can and should learn, we can and we should learn by this would mean we can note this text as a type of map. We can view this text as a type of map. The scripture is explaining something about our lives and the life around us. It's providing for us an explanation as to what is happening around us and to us, a map of to where and why our fight is what it is. I'm telling you, look for the altar that's still standing. Look for the altars that are still standing. What is being sacrificed on those altars and to whom is it being sacrificed to? Is it the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? When we look throughout the earth, when we look to even as close as what's around us, is it is the sacrifice, is the worship, is the praise to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or is it to Baal? Or is it to bail? See, we don't, we have to begin now to examine the altars that are around us, for they are many. They are many. And God is asking the question what is it? What have you done? He's asking each and every one of us today, what have you done? For I am keeping my promises to you. I am giving you the land that I promised your forefathers. I am. I have given you a covenant that says I will protect you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And it's all built on the promises of God. I promised you. But when I look around you, I see altars. I see altars that I have not built. I smell a foreign fragrance coming from the altars that I have not built. There is something that is in the land. There is something that is in the territory. There is something that's, 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 that's yielding up a foreign scent into the nostrils of our God. God is asking in verse two again, what is it that you have done? And we're talking about when God starts asking 
questions because his questions cause us not only to examine ourselves, but his questions cause us to examine what is around us, what is attached to us, what is in the near vicinity. What have we let just get by? God is asking the question, what is it we, you have done. We see in verse two instructions, the same instructions Joshua gave generations prior, which were not fully followed. Allowances were made, which seemed small at the time. They seemed minor at the time, but they were not. But when we read this text and we look around us today, we can definitely see where a little leaven has definitely leavened the entire loaf. The question God has asked in verse two, it rang familiar to me where in the scripture, I began to think, where did I hear this before? You know, many times I mentioned on this podcast that when I see certain phrases, when I see certain words, immediately my mind goes back to where have I seen that before? And right now, the question that I'm asking when I say, where have I seen this before? I'm talking about when God says, what is this that you have done? And then I realized that I saw that in Genesis 3. I saw it in Genesis 3, and let's go to a Genesis 3, and I'm going to start at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool, the afternoon breeze of the day. We're talking about Adam and Eve. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? you. He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. God said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat? Have you eaten of the tree? Have you eaten of the fruit from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, the woman whom you gave to be with me. And I'm reading the amplified version. She gave me fruit. It says in parentheses from the tree and I ate it. Verse 13 says, then the Lord said to the woman, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent beguiled and deceived me and I ate. In parentheses, it says from the forbidden tree. Verse 13 and Genesis introduced a major shift in humanity, just as verse two and Judges introduced a major shift in humanity, both because of broken covenant, stemming from ignorance, leading to decisions which introduce a cycle of, again, broken covenant, stemming from ignorance, leading to decisions which, again, introduce yet another broken covenant. 
Another broken covenant stemming again from ignorance, leading to bad decisions, leading once again to another broken covenant. And this is what we see today. We see broken covenant from generation to generation to generation. We see broken covenant. Stick with me. I am going somewhere. Where? Listen, this, this little piece right here in the scriptures, it reminds me, and some of you have heard me say this before, I'm a Matrix fan. I'm a Matrix fan, that trilogy. I love the Matrix. I could watch it every day. My husband will probably tell you I do. So between you and I, I do. I love the Matrix trilogy. I just like to sit and watch it. I get revelation after revelation out of what is happening. And I noticed in that, in that second uh, trilogy, second part of the trilogy, Matrix Reloaded, right? It is so appropriately named because in this one particular scene, the character Neo, right? He's trying to get, he's just trying at this point to end the war. He's trying to end the war between the machine machine country, I guess you could say, the machine people or the machines and the and humanity. He's trying to end the war. And he believes that he can end this war if he can just get to the architect, right? So then he finally gets to the architect. He opens the door, he gets to the architect and in his mind, okay, now the war is ended. The machines and the humans can live in peace. But instead, what he finds out is that he's only a part of a cycle. What he finds out is that he was not the first one. What he finds out is there were many more before him and they all failed. And what they did, what the architect did when they failed is they completely trashed the whole matrix system and they just reinvented it and put it back out there again. And the next one would come and the next one would desire to get to the architect and the architect would tell him he's a part of a cycle. He'd be crushed and they would crush the whole matrix and they would throw it back out there anew to start all over again. But what they found out with Neo, the, this particular character, was that there was something in him that separated him. It separated him from the previous folks that were the one. It separated him. And what separated him was simply his love. His simply his love for the people, his love for Trinity. It separated him. It separated him for everyone else. Of course, Trinity, you know, I was like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I went there, you know, but it was like his love, his love for Trinity, his love for the people. That's what separated him. And that's what caused him to disrupt the matrix system and cause him to really fracture it, fracture it and cause it to, to submit to him. He fractured the system. He actually fractured the system. And so when you think about, when we think about, when I thought about this particular scripture and I thought about what is it you have that you have done, the question that God had asked. And when I thought about the fact that, you know, we have, we have been through so many, so many cycles, generations, I should say, of covenant breakers to the point where now we're so many generations down and we have generations that are breaking a covenant that they don't even know that they're, that they broke it. 
they're they've broken a covenant that they're not even not they don't even they're not even aware that they actually had so maybe their grandmother's grandmother's grandmother knew the lord but maybe the the next one down didn't that that one didn't teach it to the next one they died before they could teach it to the next one and then the next one had another child didn't teach it to that one so they didn't know then the next generation had another child didn't teach it to that generation so they didn't know that that generation had another child didn't teach it to that generation so they don't know so they're so far removed we find today that we have generations that are so far removed from the covenant of god so far removed from the knowledge of god from the very knowledge of god and and i, I do a sidebar here because it's important that we understand those of us who know god those of us who really comprehend relationship with god we need to understand how important important it is that our relationship reflect is reflected properly when we're when we're worshiping God and when we're praising God see because for the generation that is just coming to know God through us we set the wrong example and now they're mimicking something that is wrong now they're mimicking something that God does not want so what ends up happening is they think they know God when the truth of the matter is they only know a form of God because what we showed them was not a relationship with God. Therefore, they are walking in a broken covenant and they don't know it because they only know what they've seen. They only know what they've heard. See, this is why it is not good to give people you. We must give them the word of God because the Bible tells us that the word of God, only the word of God does not return back void. It will accomplish what it says that it will accomplish. When we put too much us in it, we start to taint it. Now we are exhibiting a broken covenant. Now the generation who does not know their God is looking to you, this generation, to show them God. You show them a facsimile of God. They take that and run with it, not realizing that they are walking in a broken covenant, a broken covenant. See, we, we must be careful. We must be careful what we say and what we do. Those of us that know God, because we are being watched by whom? By the generation that does not know God. Everyone did not have God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, passed down to them. And we are living in a world full of generations of broken covenant, broken covenant. So we're back to the question God has asked, what is this you have done? Whether because of beguiling, whether because of deception in Genesis 3 and 13, or disobedience in Judges 2 and 2, what is it you have done? What is it you have done to tear down these false altars. What is it you have done to tear down these false images of Christ? What is it that you have done to tear down these false, these false uh, facsimiles of relationship with Christ? We make allowances. 
We make allowances and excuses for what God has told us cannot live amongst us. We're unwilling to tear down the demonic altars built in places that God has given to us just to paint a picture. We are, like I said earlier, we are very clear on what relationship with God looks like. We are very clear on what pure worship looks like, pure praise looks like, pure prayer looks like, but yet it seems in this day and time, we get in front of the camera now that everything, a lot of things are still being done online and we show people something completely completely different. And I'm here to tell you that God is asking the question, what is it you have done? Because there we have broken covenant now. We have broken covenant and it is up to the remnant to show people a true and living God. It is up to the remnant to speak of a true and a living God, not to give people you, not to give people a rare back or a throwback or a dance and a shout, but to give them the word of God, the true and living God. I'm back in Judges 2, verse 3. Stay with me. I'm still going somewhere. It says in verse 3, so I also said, even after I'm asking you the question, what is it you have done? God is reminding them again. So I also said, since you, since you won't tear down the altars, then okay, I will not drive out your enemies from before you. I won't drive out your enemies before you, but they will be like thorns in your side. Their gods will be a snare to you. Verse four says, when the angel of the Lord has spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people raised their voices and they wept and they wept. So they named that place Boshem or Bashem, weepers, weepers. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. But listen to this in verse six, we're talking now, Josiah's, Joshua is dying now at this point. And it says, and when Joshua has sent the people away, the tribes of the Israelites went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. The people who served the Lord all the days of Joshua all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Verse eight says, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. And they buried him, verse nine says, in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath, in the hills of the country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Verse 10, verse 10. And all, and, oh, it says, also, also all the people of that generation were gathered to their fathers. In parentheses, it says in death. And another generation arose after them who did not know. In parentheses, it says, recognize or understand the Lord, nor even the work which he had done for Israel. 
This is what I was saying earlier. This is the scripture that I was referencing. We are living in a day where generation after generation after generation, yes, maybe to the fourth level, maybe grandmom knew. Maybe grandmom knew, knew God, but maybe at some point they passed off the face of the earth into death. They went to be with the Lord and the generation that came after them did not know the Lord, nor did they recognize or understand him. They knew not of a relationship with him. They knew not of a worship. They knew not of praise. They knew not of the scriptures. They knew not of the acts of the Lord. Even though God could be performing those very acts toward them, they would not recognize them as the Lord God because they did not know the Lord God. So what we have here is what we have today, a generation, several generations that could possibly not know God. They could possibly only know what we show them, what we tell them. And right now, from what I'm seeing, they have a facsimile of God. And the issue is, just imagine, put yourself in this place of the another generation that arose after them that did not know or recognize or understand the Lord. Let's put ourselves in their place for a moment. If you do not know, if you do not recognize, if you do not understand the Lord God, you are not going to be thanking God for the grace that he gave you when you woke up this morning. You are not going to be thanking God for your breath, your life, or your health. You don't know God. You have no idea that God even exists. You will only know what has been left to you by the altar, the false altars that should have been torn down. See, if we don't tear down the false altars, if we don't tear down the altars of the false gods, then that will be all that the generations after us know is what we leave behind. They will only know what we leave in place. If we don't build the altar of the true and the living God, how will the generation after us know the true and the living God? We see it today where we have generations that do not know God and they're serving what they believe is God, what's been left for them, a false altar. They're, they're sending up strange fires, strange scents up to uh, our God, up to our God. And he's getting whiff of these strange scents and these same strange, uh, strange actions and his strange activity. And he's asking us that know him, only those of us who know him, what is it that you have done? What have you done? Why am I seeing this strange, this strange behavior, but they're calling it worship? Why am I seeing this strange, this strange praise, but they're calling it, they're calling it praise unto me? Why am I seeing, this is not my praise. This is not a worship that I desire. This is not a sacrifice that I would even accept. 
But see, we're doing it every day, day in and day out. If you don't believe me, just scroll in social media. You will see a whole lot of things. You will hear a whole lot of things. And then you wonder why when we try to tell the generations that are younger than us, when we try to tell the generations, no, that is not God. How can we tell them that that is not God when that is the very thing that we exhibit? How can we tell them that that is not God when they're looking over here and they see the strange, they see the altar and they're like, but you, you, you left that altar there. That's not, that's not the altar of Christ. You left it there. You, you put it there for me. It looks like the same one that you're kneeling at. It looks like the same one that you worship on. It looks like the same one that you sacrifice on. See, we can't tell them any different if we're not showing them any different. We can't tell them anything different if we're not showing them anything different. If our altar looks just like the foreign altar, then how can we help them to distinguish the two when clearly we can't distinguish the two because we don't know which one to destroy? They are both in existence right now, right next to each other. They're right next to each other, both the false and the real. We don't know ourselves which one to tear down because we've been looking. We allowed it to stay so long that it looks just like ours. Oh, yeah, the worship on it just like ours. The praises on it just like ours. The prayers that go up just like ours. The sacrifice is just like ours. How, how can the young, how can the next generation know the difference if we don't even know the difference? We haven't even torn it down. God is asking us today, what is it? What is it that you have done? What's your it? What did you do? What did you do that I'm hearing all this confusion coming up? I hear all this noise coming up to me. I, I smell these strange scents coming up to me. See, here's the thing: before we can, before we can tell the next generation what God is, who God is, and who God is not, we first must make sure that we indeed are showing them what God is and what God is not. We are speaking what God is and what God is not according to the word of God. Listen, I'm not here to tell you now nor ever that the house is your portion, that you're getting a new house, that you're getting a new car, that money is coming to you. That is not my job to tell you that. Go work. And you can have that. God has given you, given you the, the ability, the strength to get wealth, to get what you need. Go work and you can have that. What I'm here to tell you is what God is saying. And God right now is commanding, I want pure relationship. If I get pure relationship, I can get pure worship. If I can get pure worship, I can get pure praise. If I can get pure praise, you can speak my word to my people and my and my word can go do the work. Stop giving people us again god is asking what is it that you have done what is it that we have done what are we doing that is showing who god is and who god is not because i can promise you god is no longer accepting he is no longer winking at what he once winked at now he is 
pushing away anything that he does not desire. And we have to begin to discern what God wants, what altar is God's and what altar is not, is not his. And we have to begin to tear down, literally dismantle piece by piece with the word of God, what is not his. We have to make it plain to those that he's called for his for his purpose. See, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. That generation that rose up, that did not know him, did not recognize him, that did not understand him. When he tried, when he tried to introduce himself to them, they wanted no parts of him. Some of them wanted no parts of them. And rather, rather than, rather than just, rather than just uh, render them useless, God chose to use them and make them as a thorn in the side of believers. Just as the fake, the false altars that they worship at, he decided to make them a thorn in the side of believers. So we have to decide today, are we going, are we going to represent the purity of God? Or are we going to allow God to use us as that thorn in the side of the true believers? We have to decide today. It's one or the other. There's no in between here. We're either going to do this God's way or we're not. So are we going to allow God to use us for his glory and we're going to represent him in purity or are we going to or is he going to use us as the thorn in the side of his true believers? See, we get so annoyed and we're so quick to get mad with the younger generation for what we believe that they're doing is out of alignment with God, but we never show them the right way. We never show them what God is actually requiring. And that takes time. That is not something that can be proven over, overnight. Come on, we're talking about generations. The Bible tells us, and another generation arose that knew not their God. So if generations are arising that do not know God, then that means it takes time to teach them and show them God. Only time can teach them and show them God. We have to allow time for the word of God that we speak to work for them, to work in them and to work through them and to rid out everything that is unlike Christ. We have to wait for that to work because too long, why? We've allowed both altars to exist. The altar that is Christ, the altar, the altar that is not. We've allowed them to coexist side by side. So the question is, what, what, what God is asking? God is asking the question, what is it that you have done because what you have done will infect, will infect, infect or effect humanity and it will turn. It will turn humanity. It's going to turn an entire generation. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be responsible for being a thorn, for creating thorns in the flesh of the men and women of God, the true believers of God. I want to raise up a generation that God can use for his glory, a generation that God, that God, that can hear God, that can understand God, and that can obey God. And that is strictly in our hands today. That is in our hands today. We must examine. We must think of. We must, we must look back at the altar and decide what 
is it that we have done? And if that false altar is still standing, we're going to begin to dismantle it brick by brick brick by brick. And that takes time. That takes time. There are some parts that you would take a sled, a sledgehammer to, but then there's other parts that you would tear apart brick by brick. See, cause I have to tear down that false image that you have of Christ. And to do that, I have to tear down, then replace, tear, replace, tear down, replace, to take that out, replace it with this, take this out, replace it with that. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you're calling our attention to the details, the little leaven that can leaven the entire lump. We thank you, oh God, that you are, because you're calling us to this place of purity, that because you're calling us to this place of sincerity, that you are causing us to re-examine the altars re-examine the altars that have been built that are around us that are near us that are in our vicinity re-examine if it be of you or not and begin to tear it apart brick by brick so that we don't turn and we don't raise up a human raise up an entire generation of thorns and thistles in the sides of men and women of God we thank you oh God that you called us specifically for your glory specifically for your purpose and that you're purifying us you're just you're getting at the little the little things God that we would ignore the little things that we would pay, would not pay attention to the little things that become that can become big things. We thank you, oh God, that you are still cleansing us from filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit and that you're perfecting holiness in us. We thank you, oh God, that you are causing us even still, God, to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. We thank you that you are perfecting us. This might seem small, but God, it turned an entire generation, generation after generation that didn't not know you, that did not, were not aware of you, did not understand you. And we thank you, oh God, that you are keeping us, that you're purifying us. You're purifying us for your purpose. We love you and we glorify you and we will, we will to do your perfect will in the earth realm. We thank you, oh God, and we give you glory. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me on this evening. And I will see you on next Monday at 7 p.m. Thank you again so much for joining me. Got you out a little early today. Got you out a little early. Thank you again. Everyone, have a great evening. Come on now. Don't ever let go. Don't ever let go. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how hard it gets to tear this altar brick from brick, come on, don't give up. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't give up. God bless you. God bless you. Just don't let go.